Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. And the reality is we're so focused on programs sometimes that we just kind of keep people uh, stringing them along because if they are if they're completely healed um we're not entirely sure what would happen you're listening to absurdity with ryan becker the podcast where we embrace the absurdity of everything from here we can move conversations forward by learning how to communicate effectively listen intently and love patiently welcome to absurdity Hey guys, you are listening to this week's episode of Absurdity. My name is Ryan Becker, and I'm really excited about today's episode. I'm always really excited about every episode, so just get used to hearing that. Uh, one of my best friends, Tony Anoboli, is coming on the show to talk about uh, victimization and how we foster dependency, often unintentionally, for church members. And we say, we kind of send this message that says, you have to depend on us for whatever is coming next, or, or you have to depend on us for your healing, but then we never actually fully uh, let people develop into what God's ideal is for them. So we're going to jump into that, um, and I just want to say as we jump into it, if your church doesn't fit this description, don't worry about it. Like, then we're not talking about you, but we're talking about the times that the church actually does foster dependency unwittingly, unknowingly, or unintentionally, and what we can do to change it. So, I really do hope you enjoy that conversation. I also want to say thank you to our Patreon subscriber. We have one so far, and I say that because he's a friend of mine that I really like. He has been on the pod, or he will be on the podcast soon. So excited to hear um, from him about what he's been up to as well. Just to let you know, we do, you can subscribe to Patreon, www.patreon.com slash absurditypodcast. Uh, and every dollar goes to help us keep the lights on in here. The other thing I want to let you know, you can find me on Twitter at Ryan180Becker. And you can tweet at me all day long. You can uh, email us. Just email me, Ryan180Becker at gmail.com. If you have show um, feedback, questions, whatever, any topics that you want to hear on the podcast. 
And uh, just to let you know a little bit about Tony, Tony's currently a seminary student up at Andrews. Before that, he was pastoring in Texas. So right now he's studying for his Master's of Divinity degree, then he'll be back in the field pastoring. And he and I have been friends since probably my first year of college, so we've been friends for six years now. Um, Someone whose voice I really appreciate, and uh, he contacted me after our GC episode, and he said, hey man, I really want to get involved, I really want to do more, and I have some time. So we're exploring what it might look like to have him on the podcast a little bit more often, so if you enjoy this episode, please let me know. I would really appreciate the feedback moving forward so that we can um, see what we can do. And I also need to apologize. Um, as I get new equipment, I test it out, see what's going on. So we still haven't finalized what the, what the sound in this podcast is going to end up. Though I can tell you right now, this episode is not going to be the, uh, the, the bar that's set. Um, for some reason, I'm not really sure, my microphone gets some line noise, uh, which is a low hum like a low beep noise that that comes through about halfway through the episode. Um, It happens every time I talk. Sorry about that. I don't really know what's going on. Um, And so we're going to try and fix that for future episodes. It's never happened before, and I know exactly why it happened. So we're going to make sure it never happens again. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have a way to live monitor myself yet when I do record podcasts in this format. So I just kind of am stuck with whatever happens after the recording's done. This is why the Patreon is helpful. It helps me uh, be able to afford equipment that can solve some of these issues. But I want to apologize for that. Any audio quality issues you hear today, um, especially if Tony comes back on more often, we're going to make sure that those are solved for him and myself. That way, um, that way you don't have to deal with them anymore. So thanks, guys, so much for listening to Absurdity. This week's episode is Fostering Dependency. And uh, maybe you have been a victim of this. Maybe you've seen this before. Maybe this is something that you have experienced. If it is, I hope that you listen all the way through to the end because you may find some things helpful for you, some things that are beneficial for you to move forward in a way that does not uh, create a sense of dependency from you uh, onto your church. Our dependency should come on or should fall onto Christ alone and not our church. And so we should be doing everything we can to become... um, stronger Christians, stronger believers, and independent disciples. And that does not mean independent as far as you're not as a, you're not a part of a community of believers or a community of people, but independent as in your faith does not grow solely in community or because of community, but it grows because of your relationship with Jesus. So thanks. Here's our conversation with Tony Anobili about fostering dependency. Hey guys, I am here with Tony, who is one of my closest friends. Tony, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners about yourself? Hey, Ryan, I appreciate that. Uh, my name's Tony Nobly. Um, I'm 27, and uh, it's pretty cool. I've been Adventist my whole life. I, I listen, big fan of the podcast, love uh, the name, everything about it. It's really cool to be on. Um, I worked as a pastor for a couple of years. Becker and I actually met up. Uh, in college. And this is, this is a fun little story. Uh, I had to take intro to ministry for the second time, which should have been a, a, a message. It should have sent uh, some sort of a warning to me, but I took it for the second time and, and we hit it off immediately. Um, and, and we really had just been super close ever since. And so it's just really neat to be able to come here, um, and talk about, you know, these, these issues that you're addressing. Um, and, and, 
just really have an exciting conversation about some of these things that all of us kind of struggle with and go through. And as a pastor, it was so cool to hear this and be able to to bring some of these podcasts to my members. Uh, but currently, I'm not actually pastoring. Um, so that's this is why I have the time to be able to, to join in. Um, but right now, I'm actually a seminary student. So I'm studying for my master's in divinity, which uh, is not as exciting as it sounds, believe it or not. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, huge nerd. I, I will just throw that out there right away. I'm going to probably make a bunch of pot references and uh, comic book stuff. If you're not into that, I apologize right off the bat. You're, you're going to hear it. I'm staring at you know a bunch of little figurines um, because I am that cliche. Uh, but I definitely love um, where we're going. And and I think that this is exciting for me to, to just join a part of this conversation. Awesome. Well, I'm really glad to have you on. And yeah, I... Uh... We really did hit it off from the get go. Uh, it's kind of crazy uh, how how well we hit it off, and uh, we really on the on our intro to ministry uh, retreat that was that was kind of our uh, first memory together. So uh, really, it really was. I, well, what's interesting is that we we came together so quickly because of like the the side things, but we became like best friends because of how uncomfortable we were. We loved making other people. Yep. That was what it was. It's just, just like we were, we had, we would have so much fun just watching the people be like, what is that? What really there? And it was just, it was just so much fun just having other people just, just like, uh, I, we have a friend Kayla and she, she's not, no touchy. She does not like, and so we were constantly like, God, throwing stuff at her and, and just, uh, it was the best. Yes. Um, and by throwing stuff at her, we mean like pillows or whatever else was at this cabin. Pillows. We weren't yeah, like throwing like sharp <laughs> objects at her. Um, and she's no. a good friend of both uh, of us. Definitely, to the- definitely pillows and toilet paper, things like yeah. that. But it was hilarious. All right. Awesome. So we're going to talk about something today that I don't think, at least in Adventism, I've never even seen it brought up. Um, and I don't mean to say like I'm on the cutting edge of this topic. Um, I just wonder how much thought as of a, as a denomination we've actually given to this topic. Um, and so I'm going to introduce it here real quick, but basically um, we're going to be talking about the, um, how churches on occasion and, and actually pretty often uh, unintentionally foster dependency on themselves uh, for their members and those who come through their doors. And so we're going to talk, uh, we're going to unpack that a lot today. We're going to talk about that with, from both of our experiences as pastors and from both of our experiences as church members, because we've been members of the Adventist church our whole life. But this is something yeah. that I want to make clear to my non-Adventist listeners. Uh, this is something that's, that is kind of across the board. Uh, I think every denomination suffers from this to some extent. Uh, in fact, the first time I ever heard this talked about was outside of Adventism. So, um, and then I thought about it within Adventism and realized we matched up. So this is something across the board. So there's definitely something for everyone here to kind of glean insights from. So we're going to, we're going to kind of build up to that whole argument and that, that whole discussion. So, so Tony, let me ask you this in your experience and what you know, what are some common reasons that a person who is struggling with something uh, would join a church? That's a really good point. You know, struggling people are kind of the main dynamic of Christianity. Um, Generally, especially in the West now, you find people that if they are doing okay, uh, they generally don't join a church. They generally find themselves okay. It tends to be very, uh, to make a reference to Revelation, you know, Laodicean, 
uh, as that church is, you know, just I'm okay. I don't really need God. Uh, you know, my job's doing well and my family's okay. So it tends to be struggling people. And, and I think the reason for that is because Jesus came to reach struggling people. I think the gospel message um, is is one that resounds. So a lot of people will come if they have addiction problems. You know, you have someone who's struggling uh, with something that's bigger than them. Um, I think a lot of people come when they when they see that the church offers something they don't have, whether that's stability, whether that is a community, uh, whether that is a a lifeline, if you will, something to hold on to, uh, whether that's just tradition. I think that's another big one for a lot of people is that they are struggling uh, to reconcile who they are in, in this world with what is actually happening in their life. And so they grab onto kind of the traditions and ritual that the church provides and and that God has, you know, he really does have this sense of peace. And so I think that's some of the reasons why struggling people join is because there is this sense of uh, camaraderie and, and healing that's supposed to come that is definitely offered. Yes, um, it's advertised in other ones. And I actually see this as a and, and to some extent, I can see this as kind of a legitimate criticism from. Uh, from atheists or agnostics that say that Christianity tends to prey on the weak. Um, they prey on the poor, mm-hmm. the, the impoverished, whatever. Um, and I can see why they, why they would say that. And to some extent um, I can understand exactly um, that sentiment. Um, but we, the goal of, of meeting with these people is, um, is that that self-sufficiency isn't there. Um, in fact, it's biblically commanded that we meet and take care of the poor, the orphan, and the widow. And so, the, the exactly. way I would the way I would counter that is, we're not looking to meet with the poor, the orphan, and the widow so that they give us money. We do it because we're mandated to care for them. And so, it's a it's a very it's supposed to be a serving and servant relationship from us to them. Um, and there are people inside the church that that are in that position now. What you may have seen if you've dealt with corruption or if you've dealt with people who didn't follow this mandate, right, is, yeah, there are churches and there are people who prey on the poor. Absolutely. Televangelists will do this all the time. And they prey on low-income families who say that if you just send us money, you will be healed or your family will be blessed, whatever. Um, that's different. Um, but there there are several reasons that a struggling church person would join a church. And re- really, I think it, it, it comes when we realize that we're at the end of ourselves and we need something greater than us uh, to move us forward. Um, so so let's move. Let, let, let's continue moving on here, Tony. How do you think that churches might unintentionally create an environment where members needs are never fully met? You know, I. I, I... Man, it's such a good point. I was thinking about this, um, you know, kind of recently. You know, I know a lot of people who struggle with uh, mental illness, specifically depression. And one of the things that I have found and I, I see uh, within our Adventist church and within Christianity as, as a greater whole is that we are <clears throat> interested in getting you in the door. We're interested in getting you involved. But the healing process, we outsource to God and God alone. My brother joined something called Medical Missionaries, and um, they're not crackpots, but they're very close. Um, <laughs> if, you are, if you are a medical missionary, I great respect for you. Um, but some of the people in this particular class were just a little bit too far for my taste. It just went a little bit too far in the sense that instead of coming up with viable 
uh, natural homeopathic solutions to a problem. What they said was stop eating meat, uh, stop eating oil and fat and pray, 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 pray. And I go, well, yes, pray. But I, you know, anybody can say that. You're supposed to be above that. And I think we do that even spiritually sometimes. Someone comes in with an addiction. We might have a 12-step program. We might accidentally kind of help them along. But unintentionally, we kind of keep people feeding into it and just say, well, just figure it out on your own. Figure it out on your own. Figure it out on your own. I think one of the reasons for that is that we focus so much on the church service, on programs, that sometimes we forget that the majority of the healing process takes place during the week, during a non-churchy activity, if that makes any sense. And yeah. that's when people really begin to open up. They really begin to talk about their problems. If someone's struggling with substance abuse, if someone's struggling with uh, pornography addiction, if someone's struggling with um, self-hatred or loathing, um, I'm, I'm not going to open up about that. I'm a pastor and I'm not going to open up in front of my congregation about that. Even though I trust them, even though I love them, even though I would hope that they would um, react to it. I'm not going to open up because that's a huge group that has to happen in a smaller environment. And the reality is we're so focused on programs sometimes that we just kind of keep people uh, stringing them along because if they are, if they're completely healed, um, we're not entirely sure what would happen. You know, we yeah, hope we don't know what to great. do with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, it, that's the problem when we, we keep an idea of, well, the church is a, is a hospital. Okay. But it's also an, a, a base, you know, a headquarters. It's like, okay, yeah, it's also a hospital, but now go out. Now you work in this hospital. And that's kind of the, the thing that we need is it's not just about healing someone and then kicking them back out. It's about healing and then saying, okay, now you go out and bring someone in who's hurt. And well, that's and, the thing. We don't, we don't kick them out. We yeah. just keep them in. Yeah. We, we leave them. You know, exactly. if, if, I, I'm fine. I get the hospital for sinners analogy. And to some extent, I'm all for it. To some extent, I'm all for it. Right. But hospitals treat and release they release people and and doctors will continually say i hope i never see you again uh at least they've said that to me maybe it's because i'm a terrible patient uh or it's because uh or it's because they they want you to be healthy and they want you to be able to operate as an independent human being and not have to be dependent on coming back to the hospital they don't want things to go wrong and yet a church which says it's a hospital acts more like a nursing home we keep we bring people in and we just keep them there until they die and it's hospice and we we don't actually have here's here's where i think this this is this is the unintentional part we don't have a complete model of discipleship that we operate with we never once once someone's here we don't we we're uncomfortable sending them because what if they're exposed to uh new theology or dangerous theology what if they're exposed to heresy uh what if they're exposed to false teachings and doctrine or what if they teach false teachings and doctrines we're afraid of losing control and um, so instead of letting someone fulfill their needs, we just keep them there and um, we never let them fully realize uh, the restoration into the image of God that they were originally created. in. Yeah, and, and Ryan, you brought up a really good point when it came to uh, discipleship. The disciples were taught to be independent thinkers. This is something that we don't talk about a lot and we don't bring up because we're really not kind of sure about it. Jesus brought in the disciples, he taught them, and then he actually sent them out twice. 
people forget before he yeah. died, he sent them out and they said, okay, now when you're done finding all this stuff, come back to me. And they, they failed quite a few times. Now they had great stories and they were like, ah, we had successes, but then, well, we couldn't cast out demons or, you know, these different things happened. And Jesus was okay with that. And I think as a church, we have failed to create independent thinkers. As Christianity, what we have done is create a lot of sheep and a lot of robots. So they keep coming to us for the answers instead of saying, here's the guy who has the answers. Here's the guy. Yeah, I, actually, I find it funny because, you know, the entire point of, of um, what is it, the 1600s when the Bible first was printed and, and able to be read? Uh, or was it was it before it was, that? 15, I think it was 1580. Uh, 15, 1500s. Yeah. That's what I'm 16th century. Yeah. So. The entire point of that was 16th century. That's why I would say, yeah, okay. So, um, but the entire point of that is so that everyone could be independent thinkers and read for themselves. But it, now we're kind of reverting back to this rely on your pastor for all of your teaching. Uh, and I watch this. I watch this when I sit in Bible studies at church or Sabbath school. And it's why I actually, I make it a point to only show up halfway through Sabbath school. Because I don't want people always looking to me every time there's a tough question. I want them to wrestle with it and struggle with it and become independent thinkers. Uh, also, I'm lazy, <laughs> but mainly it's the first one. Uh, <laughs> and I like sleeping in just a tiny bit you know, longer. No, I still haven't no, figured but, out why but, we have Sabbath school at 930 in the morning or, or Sunday school for, for non-Adventists at 930 in the morning. I still have not figured that out. I get there's morning people. Have your own service. Can we have something like later, please, after lunch? That'd be great. <laughs> After lunch, that's called nap time. I'm going to do a Sabbath school called nap time. And we bring out mats like we had in uh, in kindergarten. You know those mats in kindergarten? Those little foam pads that like everyone's... I still don't know. Because we're terrible human beings and the world is a terrible place. I used to take that thing and slide all around the carpet in my house. Like I'd run and dive with it like a mat ride on a water park. Glorious. That sounds fun to me right now. Uh, I like your point, man. You just, it is so true. We get so pastor dependent and, and not for nothing. There sometimes happens when there's an incredible pastor who's blessed by God and has natural gifts and talents and works to make those better. We develop a cult of personality. When I was pastoring, that was such a big deal for me that I, I did not develop a cult of personality. I got a reputation for not showing up to things. And that was not good. I'm gonna, I am I will fully say I have to find a balance. I went too far on the end of I didn't show up to stuff. But I, I, it was that exact yeah. same reason. They, we started up a Wednesday night service, youth and young adult led completely. Um, and I wanted it to be autonomous and I wanted them to catch the vision. I realized as long as I was there, it was going to be my vision. And so I, I would just not show up sometimes and, and they would panic at first. It was, it was really tough at first because they were like, I don't understand why. Ah, yeah. And then eventually they're like, okay, yeah, we have to do this ourselves. And it's thriving now, not because of me, but because they have now decided to rely on God and say, okay, this is something we want. Um, and so we don't need the pastor for it. We don't need Tony for it. And yes. that was so exciting for me to see that because a, what people don't realize is that's going to live longer beyond you. Um, sometimes as, as Christians and it's natural as humans, let me back up as humans, we tend to be a little egocentric. It's about us. Um, and when we see a ministry, we think of it as my ministry and that's a bad, it's, it's the wrong mentality. It's not a bad mentality. You want ownership, but it's a wrong mentality. It's not your ministry. It's God's ministry that he's entrusted to you. 
And you have to think of it that way. Yeah. Because the minute you start saying it's mine, it's mine, it's yeah. mine, you've just made it about you. It's not – and I have to be careful. I, I, it's not Stephen Furtick's church. You know, It's Elevation Church. It's God's church that, that Stephen is in charge of. It's, you know, it's not uh, Andy Stanley's church. You know, that's God's church that Andy Stanley is in charge of. Those are the things that we have to be very careful. Uh, it's not, you know, insert whatever ministry, music ministry, small group ministry, anything. It's not their ministry. For Adventists, it's not Doug Batchelor's ministry. It's the ministry that God has put yeah. on him. That's the mentality that we have to have. And the problem is we haven't had it in a long time. We've been, we've been giving people... Uh, oh, that's that's it's this insert this person's name. And I know for youth pastors, especially youth and young adults, that has happened a ton where if a youth pastor leaves, there's this huge vacuum when he leaves because that personality was so big and yep. so huge that nobody can fill that talent void. And they're not they're not taught yeah. to be self, and, self-sufficient. And, and- well, and beyond that, we actually uh, perpetuate uh, a feelings of abandonment and, uh, and and kind of the orphan mentality because either pastors will leave or will move pastors around every five to 10 years. And that's terrible for members who, you know, we're living right now in, uh, in the last couple of decades where the breakdown of the typical family has happened. Uh, divorce rates skyrocket. Uh, fathers who leave and never come back is something that I've uh, had to uh, kind of face before and not, I mean, not in my own life, but in general. And uh, then we, we give you a spiritual dad in, uh, in a pastor and then we take him away from you ASAP creating a, what we do is with that cult of personality, we give you that kind of dopamine kick, right? We give you that, that feeling of, yeah, we're going to go somewhere that excitement with a leader. And then we take that leader away and you want it again and you miss it and you go through those withdrawals and you get angry and then you get another one. And it's this cycle that is continual dependency on a leader. And it's not the member's fault like that, that I think that is where I really want to hit. It's not the member's fault. You and I have walked into churches where this is the case and, and members feel this way, but I've only been pastoring this, my churches for a year and a half. Like there's no way I can be responsible for that culture that culture is people who've been in a church for decades and it's been ingrained in them that it's the pastor who leads the work and you get to sit on the sidelines and play a support role. And we have to work to undo no, that mentality. You know, one of the things that was constantly pounded into us at school and constantly pounded into me when I was working was visitation. Visit your people, visit your people, visit your people. And I, I might be in the wrong here. I'll fully admit that I'm, I'm not a genius. I have so much to learn. Um, I've been doing, you know, church leaderships for, I mean, gosh, you know, 12, 13 years now. Um, but I still have infinite amounts to learn. That being said, I do not believe visitation is as important as people say it is. And I actually believe it's dangerous. And, and here's my reasoning. Know your people. The best way to do that is to get to see them in their homes. But just visiting creates a culture where the pastor is the only one with spiritual authority. And when I say spiritual authority, I don't mean like the casting out of demons or whatever, but if the pastor doesn't come, well, then it doesn't really matter. Your local leaders should be the ones that people look up to because they are going to be there for a long time. People who are invested in the community, which I find funny, you know, I find funny because, 
that's what the manual, the, the SDA church manual actually says, that elders and deacons are the ones that do visitations. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think of that's course. hilarious. So I'm, I'm with you. Well, when do we ever yeah, listen I'll, to the I'm manual, manual right? And, but that's, um, this is, this is, I'll give you perfect for instance. Only when, when I was at my church. Uh, and it's a wonderful church. I was working in Texas, which is crazy for me. If anyone knows me, I'm, I'm a nerd surfer guy from California. I ended up in Texas. It is every stereotype. It's it's positive. They're amazing, wonderful people, but they are a caricature of themselves. Um, and and I got there, and it just was so old school, traditional um, church that it, it, they were so pastor dependent that they were virtually paralyzed when it came to thinking outside of anything. And 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 there were so many issues that they were running into um, when it came to visitation that these people didn't know half of. The leadership, now I'm talking the leadership of the church, didn't know half of the members in the congregation. And, and I said, that's not okay. That's just yeah, not okay. Now, they've been in that leadership for 20 years, and this church was growing. It was the most diverse church I'd ever seen. It was the most age-diverse church I'd ever seen. I mean, we had babies, and we had elderly and every demographic in between, except for college students, because it really wasn't a college town. But we had college students that were away at college if that makes any sense. And so it, it was just this incredibly diverse yeah. church. They didn't know each other because a culture had been built up where the person, the only person that needs to connect us all together is the pastor. That's it. Not Jesus, by the way, not, not, not the pastors were connected that congregation. Oh yes. We're all Adventist and Christians, but what makes that particular church was the pastor. And if the pastor didn't go out and visit, or even the elders, I'll even give that, if the elders didn't go out and visit. And my reaction to that was, well, you're supposed to visit each other, right? It says in Acts that the church came together every yeah, day exactly. to break bread. So then why is that? It, it didn't say the pastor or the rabbi or the teacher or the apostles. It says the church got together daily to worship and break bread. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that, that members are the ones that grow and, and become independent and, and should be um, supporting each other uh, as much, if not more yeah. than, than the pastor is. And uh, so, so we do create this sense of dependency. And I think part of it comes from, part of it comes from the terminology and kind of the, 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 the Christianese, <laughs> if I want to use like a nineties term for, for how we speak, but our, 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 vernacular you know our our common language that says oh well the life of uh, you know tr jesus transforming us into his being is is something that happens over a lifetime we're continually being renewed and transformed and yes that is a biblical idea but we never actually go oh, further gosh, yes um than just saying that so we never actually explain it and teach it and so basically what we tell people when they come to church when they get baptized is congratulations this is the finish line and the lord transforms you within this body within this place you never go further. You never go out. You just stay here because this is where you get continually transformed. You get transformed by my preaching every week. You get transformed by reading the Sabbath school quarterly or the Sunday school lesson, right? You get transformed by getting involved in ministries of the church. And everything that you get transformed by is totally external. In other words, there's nothing happening inside or, or self-motivated because we don't talk about that. And so we don't even let members or point members to anything other than ourselves for the fulfillment of that transformation. And in many churches, we, were, we say that it's Jesus that does the transforming. 
but it's us that are doing all it's us that are trying to do all of the work and so once again we create a sense of dependency because we what we do and and please understand like when i talk like this i'm passionate and i'm upset about this but i love the church i really do i work for it i've dedicated my life to working in god's church so don't like this isn't me just harping on the church for no reason. This is the active mindset and mentality that I'm constantly working against. But we we create a need in our members. We create an artificial need, and then we tell them that we're the only ones that can supply uh, the uh, the product that they need. We are the product that they need. But we never actually get let them go further than that. And, and yeah. this is that's no, something that I've seen. And a to ton. a lesser degree, we not I say we very carefully uh, to a lesser degree. We kind of want that. It's easier to just be told, you know, shut up and pop this dumb pill in and you'll be better. Um, we don't want these complicated. Well, I have to yeah. think for myself. Uh, I don't I don't I don't like that when it comes to regular life. We kind of almost enjoy that you know, just routine. Like I said, you know, that, that there's nothing wrong with routine and tradition. I think I have to be very clear. I, I sometimes rail against it. Like you were saying, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's great when it's used for what it's supposed to be, which is remembering something, bringing structure to someone's life who is chaos. And we live in a world of chaos. I mean, I, I, I'm not even going to bring up the politics of it, but just what's been going on from Washington, what's been going on in the world. I, it's insane out there. So to have a place with structure is not bad but to have a place where that's all you do and stay and and there's no no growth that is dangerous what is you know what is in my mind when i when i if i were to ask what the comment or be asked what the finish line is for someone when they enter church the finish line that i see right i see it in the system that even my churches have set up that i'm trying to actually somewhat soon here redo for the new member process. But what's the finish line? The finish line is getting baptized, showing up for church yeah. and paying tithe. That's the finish line for us. Like this. And uh, uh, now please, if your church, if you're a pastor listening to this, if you're a member that's listening to this and your church yeah. doesn't do that, this is, this is awesome you're doing it right. Then I'm not talking about you. Like <laughs> don't, don't exactly. Don't be that. Don't be that person. Well, my church. Okay. Awesome. Like, Please and tell me about it, but don't don't what what what's the word? Don't invalidate this point because your church is the exception. That's what I don't want to do, and your experience is the exception because I'm watching this play out all over uh, in in churches I've been at. Like this is real, um, but yeah, absolutely. We 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 treat that as the finish line. I don't know if you agree, disagree, or if you see the finish line as anything different. But those well, are see, kind of the big me, three I don't even think areas that I see us. I would love line. it if we actually had that as a finish line um because I, quite frankly i don't think we even think that far a lot of times in in most of our churches that i've seen um we don't have an end goal that was my big thing like i i'm i'm a hot mess when it comes to my personal life and organization i am disorganized i'm i'm everywhere but when it comes to the church and to, and to work i love planning it out have a i'm 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 almost too much so um, you know, I want to think five years into the future. And so whenever there's a new member comes in, I have at least something. And my struggle with a lot that we have is we don't even have that. We don't even have a bare minimum 
where we go, okay, well, show up and, and pay tight. We kind of just expect them to look around, see what everybody else is doing. And and that's a sheep mentality right there. Right yeah. there. It's just just follow the crowd. Don't think. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We and teach and people to be complete. The followers. danger in that is that it is so easy for just apathy to crawl in. Because you get so used to the routine, you get so used to the normalcy yeah. that something like a youth pastor standing up in his church and saying, I've molested kids, gets applause. Some Somebody who, who reads a book and claims to politically follow your brand of Christianity can come up, clearly live a life that has nothing to do with Christ, clearly have morals that have nothing to do with biblical values or morals, and yet because they they are endorsed by your brand of Christianity, uh, uh, whether that's Adventism or Evangelicalism or mainstream, whatever it is, you follow through with that. Because I don't think for myself, I can pay. You know, that's why televangelists exist. They they would not be allowed to do any of this if we had independent thinking. Of course, you're always going to have some people that believe it, right? I mean, I. I the fact that the you know tea tree oil and all you know some of this nonsense that still goes around okay it doesn't make stuff regrow you know I had somebody could try to convince me that peppermint oil could make like your 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 toe regrow or something like it's ridiculous you're always going to have those people yeah yeah no yeah that's why it's of course how yeah it's how clearly does rosemary oil regrows, not, not you know make your hair grow straight instead of curly yeah. I, whatever but. The reality is you're always going to have some people like that, but but you want as many people that are independent <laughs> thinkers. You know, Paul talks about this in Acts, you know, these Bereans, he goes to, to this major city, Thessalonica, um, and there they immediately accept everything. I mean, they just drink the Kool-Aid right away, which is not bad. It's not a bad thing. Paul was preaching truth. If he was here today, he'd probably he'd probably cut through all the fat that we have put up in front of the gospel and just bam, just just slam us on our faces. And yet, when he went to this smaller city, Berea, they not only took him to the you know held his feet to the fire, they did it every day. They didn't just call him out on certain points. They went every single day and fact checked and said, "Okay, does this actually match up with what we know to be true? Is he actually saying truth?" And and the Bible specifically calls them out and says they were more honorable because they were independent thinkers. And creating an independent thinker is not yeah. dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is dangerous to your pride and your ego. It's dangerous to agendas because what it does is it, it makes you as a leader, uh, it, it makes you accountable. That's what it does. And I watch this um, with, with when we, we have language and we, and we say that our leaders have been ordained by God or our leaders have been called by God to do this. Um, and I agree with it. Don't get me wrong. Please understand me. Here's how this terminology or this language is dangerous, in my opinion, uh, if we don't follow Absolutely. through with we need to make sure that they stay on the right path with that calling. Um, by assuming that they just have the calling, we're saying, oh, well, God's clearly led them. So they've got to be saying this for a reason. They've got to be doing this for a reason. I'm not saying you should stand in opposition to your leaders. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but I am saying that if we're going to create independent thinkers, it means that we're going to have to be accountable for the things we say, teach, and the direction we, we call them to. That's why there's so much in Scripture 
about people knowing what a false prophet is, right? Or knowing what a false teacher is because they're meant to be independent thinkers who can discern this and see it and avoid it. There's so much there. And, and by the way, it, it's not like this has never happened before. I, I go through the minor prophets. I mean, this is the problem that Israel faced right before or, or Judah faced and Israel too, but especially Judah right before they got exiled to Babylon. I mean, this is the problem in Jeremiah and Isaiah, all these guys, you, you hear these prophets just yeah. say whatever they want, just yes, men. And the king's like, yep, I love it. Yep. It's great. We don't have to listen to what God's saying. And God is clearly speaking through this prophet, but no one can tell because no one's truly looking. I mean, that's, we ask oftentimes, you know, oh, well, you know, Christmas is so huge in our country. How did they miss Jesus coming? He was the Messiah. I can tell you exactly how, because they'd spent, you know, 200 years ish, uh, not thinking. Well, the Pharisees can think for me. The priests can think for me. I, I, yeah, and that's absolutely. how you miss the Messiah. I, I think you know, as pastors, sometimes we fall into this trap, like you were saying, because it, it's much easier. I watched somebody preach last semester while I was here, and I'm not going to call it names because they're, they're a great preacher, phenomenal. I've heard them before, but they were not on this week. I don't know if it's because they were busy. I don't, I don't know why, but they hit all the right rhythms. And people stood up, and then I will say this was an ethnic preacher. It's a black preacher, okay? And so they preached in the black style, and the black congregation stood up and listened and and did the whole, you know, uh, encouraging with the energy. I have no problem with that. I love it actually. As a as a preacher, I love that. But there was no content. All it was was rhythms. This is the point where there's a climax, but there was no content there. And I said, huh. She could have gone up and said something crazy, you know, any other pastor could have gone up and said something absolutely insane. And these people would have totally just stood up and been like, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, no, it wasn't exactly right. And I've seen this with countless other preachers. I mean, how many Christian pastors out there pick up a Bible and go, this is my Bible. I believe what it is. I am what it says, put it down and then never go back to it again. And yet, and yet we're like, oh man, that was such a good sermon. Well, no, it wasn't. Did it preach you? Did it, did it bring you to God? Did it make you search the scriptures more? A great sermon makes you want to search the scriptures more. It makes you want to spend more time with Jesus. A great ministry makes you want to spend more time with Jesus. But as pastors, we are required to do certain things and the system forces us. It, it, we can't risk yeah. losing members. And that's a very dangerous line to have to take. You should you should put risk out there and say, you know what? Go. To all of my youth, I said, look, I don't believe the world has anything to offer. So if you want to go try it, I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to come back with scars. You're going to come back with issues because I have seen friends who've gone out in the world. I dabbled with it when I was younger. And all it's going to do is bring you pain and heartache. But if that's what it's going to take for you to realize that there's nothing out there, my door is yeah. open when yep. you're done. Well, okay. So let's, let's keep moving. Cause we're talking about pastors now. Um, what role do you think uh, pastors play in fostering this dependency or perpetuating this, this victimization of people that keeps them in a state of need? 
I, I mean, I think it's bigger than pastors. I think it's a system that we've set up. Um, the role that they would play, I think, is as the 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 spiritual man. You know, I I hate to say this because it's going to be such a lightning rod, but um, as the the mediator, um, they take the role that Christ is supposed to be playing, and they are the connection to Christ. As much as we don't want to admit it, as much as we Protestants are like, oh, no, we're totally different from, you know, priests. Are we? Are we that different? Maybe we don't have the same rhythms that they do. Maybe we don't say it outrightly. Um, but I definitely think sometimes that the sentiment is there. And and we have training. So it makes sense that if someone is going through a spiritual crisis, if someone is is, you know, going through something that that they cannot handle on their own, that they would naturally want to reach out to somebody who has had training. If someone has questions of a, of a nature to, to have that, yes, you still want that. But I think we need to be very careful so that we don't fall into the trap where we are the person standing in the gap, the connection to Christ and God. Absolutely. That has to be him. And I think that's the role that we play sometimes. I don't know. What well, do you I think? think I, I would agree. And I think... Uh, I think that a lot of the current pastors, uh, because we're kind of meant to be everyone, right? We're meant to be everything to everyone. And uh, the Paul yeah. text, all things to all people. Look, I get that. I get that. But there are people far more qualified than me to, to help someone through their mental illness. There are people far more qualified than me to help people through their grief and depression. There's, there's well, I shouldn't have said depression is mental illness, but... Um, you know, there are people far more qualified than me to help you heal a wound. Uh, we need to stop passers need to stop trying to be everything to everyone and be more willing to outsource. One of the things I'm actually currently trying to work on because I, I want to put my money where my mouth is, I'm, is I'm trying to find a local counselor in, in my cities that uh, I can partner with, that I can reach out to and say, hey, look, I'm a pastor of a church and I really want to create a relationship with a local counselor so that when a member comes to me with some of these issues, I have a name that I can drop to them. I have a name that I can give them to say, this is where you can go to get help in this area. Um, because if, as long as we keep telling people, just pray your depression away or just pray this away or just pray that away and keep coming to church, we're not actually giving them the solution to their problem. Like we're, like we're not uh, on a pragmatic scale. Prayer is always followed by action. Now, yes, on occasion, the action is just to wait and sit silently. But for the most part, prayer is always accompanied by action. And um, so by just telling people to pray and not giving them an action to follow that is directly related to the problem they're trying to solve in their life, uh, we don't do anything to help them. We keep them in that state of victimhood. And we just, when they keep coming back and say, hey, pastor, I thought this was supposed to work by now. We tell them, well, you just need to have more faith and keep praying. So then they keep coming back wondering, what have I missed? Where's the missing bullet? Where's the, and we've created this artificial need in our members uh, that they feel that only we can be uh, the solution to and provide the product to fix. And so I think pastors uh, can play a vital role in this, at least moving, at least trying to change that mentality by, um, by outsourcing more, <laughs> by not making everyone depend on them. You know, I, I really believe that God works in in every aspect of society. Um, 
I want to write a book specifically called There's a Sermon in There Somewhere, you know, how to find God in the world around you. Um, obviously, you want to be very discerning with what you you see and experience and spend time with. But I believe the guy can speak to anybody. I mean, I have a story about a dude who went to a Metallica concert, and that's where he found God and changes, you know, completely changed his life around. Now, I don't recommend going to a Metallica concert if you're trying to find God, but I'm saying God can work through that. And so in that same vein, if God's able to work through anybody in anything, and then all we do is say, yes, but only now within these parameters, we've just put God into a box. What we need to say is you need to go out and see, is God in this? Not every Christian counselor is going to be the best counselor, but it's going to be a lot better than talking to somebody who has no training. Not every, uh, uh, you know, uh, not every, every uh, contractor is going to build the best building, but that doesn't mean that your pastor should be your architect. It doesn't mean that you should only work with people that are quote unquote a Christian. You know, you have to be able to look beyond just, oh, my answers can only come from these small areas because, because what happens is that, that, that we take our eyes off of Christ and it becomes this self-fulfilling self, uh, uh, and I don't even know the right word for it. It just becomes very me centric, if that makes sense, yeah. egocentric. And it's now it's about me. Absolutely. You have all the God has all the answers. Yes. Um, I struggle and I struggle because I hear so many people say, well, oh, well, that's not a Christian author. You shouldn't read that. I, one of the best views of God came from a book I read about pagan culture in Britain in during like the Stonehenge era because I saw what it was like without him. And I go, oh, my gosh, because all I've ever grown up with is knowing this Judeo-Christian, uh, you know, Near Eastern view of God. And then all of a sudden I saw these pagan gods and I go, oh, well, of course, because these people were just scared of the sun and all this, this, this nonsense, this craziness. And it just makes sense why God had to come in and say, hey, look, I'm not like that. You know, you would willingly give your child to be burned because, well, I can make another kid. But if we don't get the sun to shine, so please, whatever it's going to take to make the sun shine, whatever gold we have to, to build and whatever weird people that, claim, you know, any nutcase could come in and claim to be a, a shaman or a doctor or whatever. Well, of course. And I got an incredible view of the love that God has and an understanding from it from the counterpoint. I don't recommend that for everybody. Yeah. But I'm saying it's possible. Absolutely. Um, 100%, I agree with you. And I think we do need to get away from this egocentric mentality. Um, and um, so let, let, let's, let me give you an example of, of how I feel the, the egocentric uh, mentality happens. My churches um, specifically, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but my churches just cannot meet throughout the week. Um, because of different circumstances, uh, especially during right, yeah. the winter months where the sun goes down a lot earlier. I have a lot of older members who won't drive after dark. That's not a problem. I'm not mad at them for it. That's just how it is. And I get it. So what I've had to do and what we've had to do is instead of making our meetings about what we do or what we can do at the church building throughout the week, we've plugged in a lot of members to local nonprofits and charities. And, and so 
we have members. Uh, one member just got baptized last year, and now she helps with a local uh, nonprofit that hands out supplies that, that get donates. They receive donated supplies and they give them out to low income families and homeless people. Um, and our church, as a church, donates to them every month. But then we have members who are who are on you know, hands and feet working in these nonprofits. So instead of having a prayer meeting, I've got members that are actually delivering food for meals on wheels or working with this other, this other nonprofit. And, and so it's, it's creating a sense that you don't have to be in the church to follow God. And yes, you come back to church on Sabbath. Yes. You go back to church on Sunday. If, 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 you know, that's, that's what you do, but, um, you know, you're still following God in your life outside and independent of the church building. And that's what's important, in my opinion. That's what breaks the egocentric nature is breaking off from the church. Um, I just, and I don't mean the church people, I mean the church building. That's just, just so like we're 100% clear on that terminology. Um, but I okay, so so you and I have talked a lot about this. We've gone to some of these events. Um, so I'm curious to know your opinion on how our big events, so not church, not every weekly church, but conferences and retreats and things like that, how they play a role in this, whether positive or negative. And I don't mean how they can play a role. I mean, how do they currently impact this mentality? Uh, and I'm talking things like prayer conference, which I love. It's one of my favorite things. I'd sooner quit my job than stop going to prayer conference, right? Um, Catalyst Conference, Passion Conference, um, One Project, GYC, all of these different big shows, big events. Um, how do they play into this? Well, I think you have to understand the, the purpose of those events. Um, the purpose of those events are meant to be, or should be rather, I don't know if every event is, is meant to be this way, but it should be meant to uh, use as a springboard to action, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, they don't sometimes, unfortunately, they sometimes are used to prove once again, that there is, uh, fun in the church and there's nothing wrong with that. Again, I agree with you. I think they're amazing. I've been to quite a few of these, but if all we do is attend and then go, that was awesome, and sit back. We've, we've wasted it. And again, all we, the, the only thing, we, it, it's, like, it's like heroin. The only way we get our spiritual high is by doing more Jesus things. Yep. And, and, and that's where it becomes an issue, that because we become addicted to the church. I don't like listening to Christian pop. Um, not because it's not good quality. Um, I mean, you know, you, you have good artists and bad artists everywhere, but rather because I, I, what they are saying is important and good. And, and, and I like it. I like the stories. My, my mom will always be like, Oh, this sounds awesome. You should listen to it. But rather when I become so inundated with this, uh, constant barrage of, Hey, this is it. This is it. This is it. I lose all perspective of, of anything outside. In other words, yeah. when all I hear is, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, while that is true and while that is good and while it is important, other things go to the side, such as go reach out, love the poor. Um, yeah. What does Jesus loving you actually heaven. mean? And exactly. And I go, so, so I can listen and receive the spiritual quote unquote high 
that I should be getting from actually going out and doing. And it, it, it perpetuates for me personally, it perpetuates that ability to simply delay actually going out into the world and taking a chance. I can just sit in my car and listen or, or on my, you know, phone or, or, you know, radio, whatever it is, and just listen and go, oh, that made me feel so good. I'm so glad I love Jesus and not go out and, and, and help a dying world and not do any of that. And that's where I find the struggle. My church, again, that Wednesday night service I talked about before, that came out of a big event. They went to a big event and the music was was not the greatest, but it was better than what we could do because they had, you know, more more talent and or a bigger pool for talent, I should say. Yeah. Um, and the the preaching was an excellent speaker and, and uh, they did a small group and they did an activity and they loved it. And they were like, man, and immediately I jumped on that and I was like, man, wouldn't it be great to have this back you know, in Conroe, where we were. Oops, shouldn't have said. Oh, well, you know, it's Conroe Church, <laughs> Texas. Um, wouldn't it be great to have this back at our church? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay, now as a pastor, my role, which to me, in my personal opinion, should be the role of the pastor anyway, is to now train you and how to take that and put it into action. And then we didn't just stop with that. We combined that service with something that actually went outside, an actual outreach service you know every third sabbath they would go out and and and, uh you know bring clothes to the homeless and and food and and lower income families and it was about taking that momentum and that spiritual high and using it as a springboard and the problem is that unless we're intentional about it we can put ourselves into a spiritual coma if you will of all i need to do is get this spiritual high and then I'll feel good. Whether that's once a week at a church service, whether that's listening to only Christian music, whether that's only watching Christian movies. And again, I'm not saying you have to watch secular movies at all. If you feel, you know, the the Philippians, you know, only what is pure, just if that if that's all you want to do, go for it. But don't let that lull you. Be aware that that can put you into an apathetic state where all I need, all, I just want my high. I just need my Jesus high. And it's yeah. not that Jesus doesn't give you a high, but it will lull you into into an inaction. And that's the real struggle. And that's the real problem. Yeah, we 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 look towards these events. And I, and I do this to some extent, right? Prayer conference for me is, is um, you know, from the day that we're recording this, it's, neg- it's a week from yeah. today. Um, I'll be right in the swing of it. And I look forward to it every year. It's so exciting to me. And it's such a great moment. And And the rest of the year just becomes about getting through it in order to get to the next year's prayer conference. Uh, it's how it is with Catalyst or, or when I went to Passion. Uh, that's how it was with One Project too. All these spiritual highs, all these great moments, the rest of the year just becomes uh, the time that I have to wait through in order to get back to what I believe is ideal. Um, but the ideal, the ideal is, in my opinion, the day-to-day and how you live your faith in your day-to-day. Not how you uh, attend the big show or the big events once or twice a year um, or once or twice a month, however long, however often it is. We, we, we subtly train ourselves to thrive on the highs instead uh, or survive on the highs instead of thriving in our day to day. That's what we do. And that's why I think, and, and like I said, I don't think the conferences are doing this intentionally. I'm a coordinator for prayer conference, right? Like I know it's not done intentionally, but when we create or when we do this and we don't adequately um, encourage 
and explicitly encourage um, action when you're home, when we don't equip to have action when you're home, then we are just creating a drug that only delivers a high. And we are, we are implicitly teaching people that the only way you get this high is by coming here. This is how you fulfill that need. Like I said, we create the need and then we give the supply for the product. And, and you know, uh, picture that this, this was always to me the struggle I had with my church and, and why, you know, I wanted to cast a vision. We bring someone into the church. They join the church either through baptism or profession of faith or, or whatever. And they have spent, let's say it's the perfect, you know, testimony, you know, victim. Um, I say that tongue in cheek. Uh, let's say that it's somebody that just was completely on the street, um, completely living a secular life and, and now wants to change all that. The problem is that seven days out of the week, they were living this completely secular life. And now they come into the church and typically what happens is six days a week, maybe five, they are still living a secular life. We have no outlet for them. We have no new culture for them. All we have is one day a week where you come in and, and get enough spiritual food to somehow make it through. And then we go, okay, now read your Bible and read your lesson and, and do all that to stave off all the sin in your life and then come back to us again. And then we will we'll fill you up again. We'll, you know, we'll reach in your car and then just go out into the world and just somehow beat off all this crazy you know, the sin that's trying to, to, to drag you back. Instead of creating a universe or a world or a community where they come in and now every aspect of their daily life is being changed, where we are intentionally saying to them, here's what your Sunday looks like. Here's what your Monday looks like. Here's what your Tuesday can look like. Here's what your Wednesday, Thursday, Friday can look like. Here's what your Saturday and Sabbath can look like and give them an option that doesn't have to involve being secular or being a couch potato. It doesn't have to, it's a, where they are spiritually active and spiritually involved and spiritually alive. That's beyond just reading and intellectual. That also involves action. Um, Slowly at first, obviously you don't want to overwhelm them, but I go, how many more people, how many more struggling people would stay in our churches and actually become these self-actualized individuals or God-actualized individuals where God can actually use them as incredible ministers because now they have a community around them. And I'm not saying this doesn't exist in the world. I know it does. I have seen this story happen, which is why I know it's possible. Um, You know, a chaplain at the school I graduated at right now, he, uh, sorry, I graduated uh, in high school my high school, my alma mater for high school, the chaplain right now there is a kid that was living a very secular life. And yet because he got into a community like I was talking about, he's now their chaplain and and a great friend. And that happens because you have that culture. He was taught to think, he was taught to read, he was taught to go out and be active rather than sit back and just, no, 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 no. Come for us for your fix. Come to us for your fix. And I think that's part of the reason why we, we struggle to, to retain so many of our members, so many Christians. Mm. That, and we go, well, what happened? Why, why 
you know, the, these, this, this horrible thing happened to them. I thought they were Christian. Well, it's because they were still living non-Christian life five days out of the week. Yep. We somehow expect the, uh, the two hours that you're at church or the three hours you're at church to somehow um, adequately uh, sustain you for the, uh, I don't know how many hours are in a week. What's 24 times seven. But you get my point? Like <laughs> we Dude, somehow, we're pastors. We don't do math. Yeah, exactly. That's not, unless we're reading Daniel. It's the only math we know. <laughs> we didn't learn principles of math. We learned these specific equations. That's what we learned. What's uh, times time half a time in the week? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So seriously, for the, for the, um, for the for the hundreds of hours outside of that, we we just ignore. Uh, we we think that somehow church is meant to sustain outside of that, and it isn't. Um, so, so okay. So so as we kind of wrap this up in my traditional yeah. pastoral um, transition from the body of my sermon to the closing, uh, <laughs> what what do we you know as we land the plane? Uh, what what can we do about it, man? What what do we do about this this fostering dependency issue? You know, I think that I think for, first again, I want to say uh, we're talking about a very specific issue that we see, um, and you brought it up before. I just want to re- reiterate that I know of churches that are doing that are not uh, doing this, that are not struggling with this. Is not your struggle yes, and again? Exactly. Good on you, man. Keep, keep that up, please. Um, you know, ladies and gents, you're you're doing the good work. Keep that up. Um, don't don't stop. This is think of this as an encouragement that you're on the right path. Yeah. For the rest of us who struggle with that, which is totally, you know, you're not bad people. By the way, that's the other thing. You're not bad people if this happens. If this is how you grew up with, if this is all you know, this doesn't mean that it's horrible and it's not going to change. It, it can. Yeah. It's just something. Thank that, you. Yes. That, you know, and that's why we bring it up, and that's why we talk about it, and that's why we highlight why it's so bad. Because I truly believe there is a devil, and I believe he wants to lull us into a sense, this exact sense, so that we become like sheep and we'll just follow anything um, rather than listening to the true shepherd's voice. So that being said, how do we fix it? To me, I think it starts with intentionality. And that's – I know it's a hot-button word. I know it's a very millennial word. But we are who we are. Oh, yeah. Uh, I cannot be beyond who I am. Uh, I think intentionality is so – important when it comes to getting out of this any rut that you fall into whether it's spiritual whether it's relational whether it's emotional it takes intentionality to come out um and i think for us as a church to allow them to not be dependent we have to force them to be independent we have to be intentional about that for me I see that in our Sabbath schools, it means actually having a discussion and not having one person who is the smart one stand up and give out the road answers and then have two, three people spout out their opinions. I'm not saying that happens to every Sabbath school. I'm not saying that happens to most Sabbath schools. I'm saying I have seen that happen and I think it needs to stop. If that's a brand new group that knows nothing about the Bible, maybe. But if it's people who've been in the church for over a year, two years, three years, that can't happen. Um, Yes. They need to be more involved Um, in youth groups and activities and all of this. We need to stop making it programs and start making them think independently and actually start going out and doing things. Um, You know, to me, when we do service acts of service, that is the closest you're ever going to get to actually walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Um, Yeah. 
Not everyone Absolutely. here is going to be able to heal someone of leprosy. Um, I, I totally don't doubt that God has that ability, but I also know that not everyone has the spiritual gift to be able to preach. Uh, not everyone has the spiritual gift to do evangelism. Not everyone has the spiritual gift to do all that stuff. Yes, you can do it, but that's not your gift. But everybody here can serve in some capacity. It does not take any training to feed, to water, to give clothes, um, to visit, uh, to, to help someone who's going through something. Um, and, and that is something that everybody can do. And when it comes to being an independent thinker, I think we as churches need to be okay allowing them to think for themselves. And that is very dangerous and scary, but it's necessary. Um, yeah. It's just, it has to happen. It has to happen. Well, and I think it's a matter of trusting the Holy Spirit and God that's to work exactly. on them and lead them and lead his church. That's exactly <laughs> it. No, that's exactly Like, why are we the leaders of his church? He's the leader of his church, and we are simply entrusted in stewarding. I mean, that's all we're doing. How many people out there, you know, honestly, truly, if they did not have to come to church, uh, would, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you were not forced to, if this was not a requirement, would you? If the answer is no, okay, then you need to do something to change it. Don't expect them to change it. You need to pick it up and do something. Start, you know, start thinking for yourself as well. Um, and a lot of them are independent thinkers. And they think, well, I'm never going to do anything. Don't forget about the church building. Open up your home. Um, another big thing for me, get involved in the communities. Be, again, intentional, but in, be intentional in your communities. Um, like you were saying, in a rural church, well, that's a hard word to pronounce. In a rural church, you can't always be at the building, but everybody lives around people. We all have neighbors. And whether or not you're converting them, to me, that doesn't matter. Bring them in. Show them love. Become a part of that community. You know, when I was a pastor, I would talk to my youth group and I had people who were training to be doctors, who graduated med school and are in residency and lawyers and literal rocket scientists come to me and say, man, I never feel yeah. stupid until I step into your Sabbath school. I feel so dumb. Wow. And I go, that's because you've never <laughs> been taught to think. So when it comes to spiritual things, you're taught to think about your profession. You're taught to think about your politics. You're taught to think about almost every aspect of your life. But when it comes to the spiritual life, you're just taught to just shut up and listen to me because I'm the one with all the knowledge. And that has to change and it won't change unless we're intentional about it. Couldn't agree more. Um, we 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 don't teach people to find the problems to their issues. Instead, we teach them that we have the the or the, the solutions to the problems. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. Um, we teach them that we have the solutions to their problems, not that they can open scripture, read, and find it themselves, uh, and they can pray and find it themselves, and they can talk with people and find it themselves. Instead, we say, no, 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 sit down, be quiet for the thirty minutes that I'm preaching, or in some pastors' cases, an hour and a half, and. Um, that we're preaching and you listen to the answer that I give you. And if you don't do it, then you're sinning. So there's there, it's a subtle manipulation game we play. And we know that if we didn't, we wouldn't get tithe. Like, um, and, yeah, and it's I, not a, we know, and we actively yeah. know this. Please understand that when I say we know this, I don't, I, I highly doubt there are several, there are a lot of pastors out there who realize this is happening. Like, 
So I'm not trying to say that I do this intentionally or others do this intentionally. Um, That's not it at all. The problem is that we aren't being intentional in the area of discipleship and creating independent Christians. Um, And so I think we do need to, um, when we talk about doing something about this and avoiding this, we need to teach people to be independent thinkers. We need to teach people how to pray. We need to teach, pray for themselves and not just copy what we do. We need to teach people how to read scripture so that they're reading it themselves and not just waiting for us to read it. We need to arm people with the resources to be able to understand scripture and point them toward those Absolutely. resources. Why do we just reserve all of the preaching materials for the pastors, all of the translation tools, all of the commentaries? Why don't we equip our members with them? So, um, we need to create that. We need to say, hey, go do something with other church members and don't tell me about it because I don't need to know everything, right? Just be people. <laughs> Just be who you are and who God is making you to be. And you don't need me for that. I may be the person that pointed out this need to you, but that doesn't mean that I'm the person that has to be the one to satisfy that need. Uh, God is the one who satisfies that need. And so by teaching people how to interact with him, how to spend time with him and take that time intentionally to do so, right? Instead of saying that Doug Batchelor is the one that you go to to hear your answers or Mark Finley or Andy Stanley or Craig Groeschel or Stephen Furtick, instead of saying that, that these are the people that have the answers um, and only one of them has an answer, we say, let's be intentional about finding the solutions to these problems and let's Uh, find out how God is transforming each of us instead of he's not making, you know, I, I I love the the parable Mm. of the lost sheep. The problem with that parable, as much as I love Jesus's parables and they're all great, right? The problem with that parable is it does sort of imply that everyone is the same. Uh, And, but what I love about as Jesus notices one is missing, you don't just notice one is missing because the number's different you notice one is missing because you don't see something you recognize, which is you don't see the individual characteristics of one of the sheep. You say, I'm missing that one. Where's the one that ate funny? Where's the one that, uh, that was the, the joking all the time, right? There are independent characteristics that each person has. And God may be growing those independent characteristics in you differently than how I might try to develop them in you. So don't, don't assume that your growth is reliant on the teaching you receive from someone else. Your growth as a person and, and as a Christian is defined by your relationship with God. And I find it so ironic that as a teacher, I'm telling that. But the point <laughs> is that this is supposed to be freeing, right? I'm, That's good. Yeah. That's, that's what it's supposed to be. I'm telling you to you stop know, depending on me. <laughs> that's exactly, you know, as pastors, we're supposed to work ourselves out of a job. Yes, this is my one pop record. I have to make it. Um, the story of getting to me parallels so well with Spider-Man. If you know the comic Spider-Man or, or watched it or, or seen any of the movies, you know, he's just a normal high school kid. He is not, uh, you know, fancy billionaire. He's not a smart, he's not a soldier. He's just a high school kid who is given this responsibility and becomes a superhero. Um, Gideon's the same way. You know, God isn't looking for, you know, the Tony Starks, he isn't looking for the Captain Americas. He isn't looking for any of those. He's looking for Gideons. He's looking for people that are just these normal, you know, Gideon, Gideon's like, I'm the, I'm the, the weakest guy from the weakest tribe of the weakest family. And God's like, that's exactly why I've chosen you. Yeah. You're the one. And God takes him and uses him because he, he, he allowed himself to be used and he allowed himself to constantly say, all right, God, is, is this the right way? Is this the right way? Is this the right way? 
And that's why Gideon's such a great success story. And as we need more Gideons in our church, we need more just normal people going about living their lives and saying, God, if you can use me here, I'd go for it. Yep. Couldn't agree more. You know, I think for, um, you know, we, we tell people that, that to, to seek the calling of Moses, and yet Moses uh, couldn't be Moses without the 600,000 Israelites that were called to be Israelites. Um, and I'm not saying that, that being called to be an Israelite is less than the calling of Moses, not at all. Um, but not everyone has to have that calling, and we can't be co-opting the calling of, of, of these other people or these other big leaders. Sometimes it is like Gideon where it's common. Um, sometimes it's like Moses where he calls you to do something huge and way out of the ordinary and whatever. But sometimes you're just called to be the best you that you can be. And that's a huge and great and amazing calling. And we don't talk about that enough. Um, be the best you that God is creating you to be and reach God's ideal for your life. And you do that by you interacting with God, not by you interacting with a pastor, not by you interacting with a church building. You do it by you interacting and learning more about and, 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 and loving Christ and experiencing his love in your heart. So, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I've been on, on my kind of soapbox <laughs> enough here, I th- but this is huge. And and I really don't think we're talking about this enough. And I, and no. I, there's probably someone who's like, you're wrong. And I'm like, good. You're an independent thinker. Uh, yeah, yeah right. Exactly. This me- is one of the only things where if someone like calls us on, it's like, Oh, you did listen. Good. Yeah, good. You got the point. And if you tell us that we did it right and you came to that conclusion on your own, then good. You're also an independent thinker. Uh, but, well, I think that's why uh, it's so long. You know, it, there's some solutions that you can talk about in 10, 15 minutes. I mean, this one, you know, it's just no one's saying anything and it's hard to recognize it. Yeah, I'd be interesting to see how this kind of develops as an idea and as a as a topic over the next several years. So we'll see what happens. Um, hey, Tony, thanks for thanks for this conversation, man. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Absolutely. You know, with all this being said, um, I absolutely believe that God has put things and people and places in your life for a reason. Um, be an independent thinker, but also know that. Um, churches have a purpose and a place. Pastors have a purpose and a place. Um, elders, church leaders, they all have a purpose and a place. But if the purpose and place is not to point you to Christ, that's when we're talking about this. So don't take this as a, hey, you know, ah, screw the system. No, no, no. That, that, that's not what we're saying. You know, don't burn down, you know, don't go out and burn down your local clergy. Um, <laughs> definitely understand that what we're trying to say is, to, you know, be an independent thinker, make your connection to God, your connection to God, because then he can use you in amazing, tremendous ways. Because ultimately, we all do have a final plan, and that's to get to the kingdom Yes, and to eventually Amen. have his kingdom uh, come down here. And that's our goal. That's where we're headed. And and we can't do that without you. I mean, that's why I want to do this uh, You know, with Ryan. I'm so excited to be here because you guys are the catalyst to bring about the end of the world. And we are trying to give you the tools and equip you to get up on your feet and to, to train you and to inspire you to go be that change. Um, so that we can, we can reach that goal, you know, that much quicker, that much faster. Yeah. Well, Tony, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to let your final thoughts stand exactly as is. Um, I'm not going to comment on them or anything. I, um, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for talking with me about this. Um, 
And uh, really excited to see uh, any more involvement you have with with Absurdity as we move Seriously, forward. This is just a huge honor. Um, I, I love it. I love you, man. Yep. Love you too, dude. Thanks for being a friend. Thanks you, thank you for being an influencer. And um, thank you for being who you are. So that was our conversation with Tony Anobly. I really hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. I am looking forward to having him back on the podcast soon. Please, please let us know what uh, you thought of this episode. Go ahead and leave an iTunes review. If you subscribe on iTunes or any of your other podcatcher apps, um, you can find us on CastBox. You can find us on iTunes, wherever else. You can find us on theabsurdity.org, and all of our episodes are there on the podcast page. Please, again, uh, if you feel so inclined to give and donate to this podcast, uh, patreon.com slash absurdity podcast and we will keep growing we'll keep finding exactly what our sound is i kind of know what our voice is and what our content is that's that's pretty nailed down but we are trying to solidify our audio sound um, what you're hearing on your end of the speakers so thanks so much for listening thank you for this for listening to this episode i hope you enjoyed it i hope you learned something um and i do want to make a clarification I love this church. I'm a part of this church, and we're going to do an episode soon on why I love the Seventh-day Adventist church. But uh, just because I love the church doesn't mean I shouldn't call it to accountability or point out things when they are wrong. Um, If you love someone, you hold them accountable. And um, so I do love this church, and I'm not just here to bash on it and to rag on it and to say I hate this church. It's not it at all. I'm calling it to accountability because I want us to be better. I want us to be better Adventists. I want us to be better Christians. I want us to be better Christ followers, and I want us to be better human beings. Um, so I just want to make that clear. If you think that I'm dogging on the on the church too much, just let me know, um, and I will make sure to, to balance that out a little bit more. But these are things that I, I believe are important to talk about. Um, and this uh, this issue specifically, I've never heard anyone talk about before. So, Or if I do... If I have, I don't remember it at all. So, oh, well, we'll see what happens as we move forward, but I'll make sure to balance out that that sound a little bit better. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.